Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. Greetings once again, odd people. It is great to be back with you. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a different type of show this week, and I wanted to kind of share something that I've found. I've been doing a little bit of investigative journalism because it's not very often that you see people doing that these days. I uncovered a few things that may not be surprising to some of you, but I think is very relevant in our day and time and under this whole COVID dystopia. And so I wanted to just run it by you and see what you guys think. Because one thing I've learned from over the years looking at politics is really the cliched follow the money technique. That is the way to go on almost everything. Not every single thing is about money. Some things are about power, influence, and legacy. But money seems to always or almost always be in there somewhere and it's usually the driving force for many things that happen and hey i'm a capitalist guys if you have a service or a product that i like i'm happy to take the money i earned and give it to you for the exchange if i have a service or product that you want i'm happy to sell it to you So, that is unfettered, true capitalism. Not this cronyism and protectionism that I talk about. So anyway, I wanted to get into this. Let's just go ahead and do it. So I thought my uh, best friend, he told me, he's a longtime nurse, and he said, look, we have these Abbott five-minute COVID testing machines. He said, I'd really be curious to know who owns them, who's invested in them. And I thought, well, that's that's a pretty interesting idea. So why don't I look into it? And so this is what I found. So I went on StockZoa.com and it says, who owns Abbott Laboratories? 
And you've got here, of course, at the top, you've got the Vanguard Group. And they have 150.4 million shares. Then second in line is BlackRock at 128.12 million shares. Now, if you don't know, BlackRock is working with the Federal Reserve. Yes, that Federal Reserve that Q said President Trump was going to dissolve. I'll go back to a article here from Need to Know News. It says BlackRock authored the Federal Reserve's bailout plan before there was a crisis. BlackRock, an investment manager of $7 trillion in stock and bonds funds, revealed plans by the Federal Reserve for a bailout of financial institutions and corporations in August 2019, months before COVID-19 appears and long before the public was aware of any financial crisis. BlackRock's blueprints implement going direct with bailouts to the commercial paper market, money market funds, corporate bonds, and a host of other markets. The Fed plans to leverage $454 billion from the COVID-19 stimulus program and the CARES Act into a $4.54 trillion bailout plan. Congress approved the deal without any meaningful debate. This means Congress and the Federal Reserve have forced taxpayers to absorb these losses on assets by the Wall Street banks it supervises. It's called going direct. That's the financial bailout plan designed and authored by former central bankers now on the payroll at BlackRock, an investment manager of $7 trillion in stock and bonds funds. The plan was rolled out in August 2019 at the G7 Summit of Central Bankers in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, months before the public was aware of any financial crisis. One month later, on September 17, 2019, the U.S. Federal Reserve would begin an emergency repo loan bailout program, making hundreds of billions of dollars a week in loans by going direct to the trading houses on Wall Street. The BlackRock plan calls for blurring the lines between government, fiscal policy, and central bank monetary policy. Exactly what the U.S. Treasury and the Federal Reserve are doing today in the United States. BlackRock has now been hired by the Federal Reserve, the Bank of Canada, and Sweden's central bank, Risk Bank, to implement key features of the plan. Three of the authors of BlackRock's plan previously worked as central bankers in the U.S., Canada, and Switzerland, respectively. The authors wrote in the white paper that in a downturn, the only solution is for a more formal and historically unusual coordination of monetary and fiscal policy to provide effective stimulus. And the article goes on and on, and I will put that in my show notes. But I see here some other headlines. BlackRock has taken over the U.S. Treasury and Federal Reserve. That's the Cosmos Chronicle. Uh, Why BlackRock has a role in the Fed bond buying spree, Bloomberg. The Fed reportedly asks BlackRock to buy billions in bonds. That is Markets slash Business Insider. Uh, Forbes, a glaring new conflict of interest undermines public trust. It just goes on and on. But I just wanted to specifically focus on BlackRock for a minute just to get the people who aren't familiar with them to know a little bit about them. So back to the StockZoa website and who owns Abbott Labs. See, Abbott is the company that makes the famous five-minute COVID testing machines. So you have the Vanguard Group, 
BlackRock coming in second, Capital Research and Global Investors, State Street Corporation. Uh, it just goes on and on. Bank of America, of course. Morgan Stanley, of course. Wells Fargo, of course. State Farm. Let's see who else here. Charles Schwab. Goldman Sachs. J.P. Morgan Chase. You look down at the bottom. And it goes a long ways down through there, but it says funds that own Abbott Laboratories also own Comcast, Microsoft, J.P. Morgan, MasterCard, ExxonMobil, Johnson & Johnson, Adobe, Intel Corporation, Apple, Procter & Gamble, Visa, Amazon, Facebook, United Health, Verizon, Merck, PayPal, Alphabet Inc., Alphabet Inc., C-Class. I mean, it's just insane, right? And I thought that... Uh, I might look into some of these other links to COVID. Who's making tons of money under COVID? Well, when I got to looking into it, I realized that some of the companies that are making a bazillion dollars under COVID not only make medical supplies, but they make plexiglass too and are also invested in testing. Now, some people just say, that's just the capitalist class for you. That's just the way things work. And maybe so. It is a racket. And I've told you that time and time again. But you see that BlackRock and the Fed were making plans way before they knew about or before the public knew about this financial crisis. This financial crisis that was created, manufactured, much like the Great Depression. I thought I'd pop over on Stockzoa to Moderna because Moderna is one of the main companies that are manufacturing the vaccine for coronavirus, COVID-19. So you see their first investor, Flagship Ventures Management. The second one, FMR. Third, Vanguard Group again, which was also invested in Abbott Labs. Then, of course, BlackRock, once again, Morgan Stanley, State Street. Uh, we're seeing uh, Goldman Sachs once again, J.P. Morgan Chase once again, Charles Schwab, Bank of America, Citigroup. It's another huge list with some of the same investors as Abbott. Then you go down to the bottom, funds that own Moderna also own Comcast, Adobe, Netflix, some of the same exact companies before, and a few new ones. Signacorp, PayPal, Shopify. So I just thought that was very interesting. And then I thought, well, I'll look a little bit farther. Let's see who manufactures some of the medical testing supplies and the plexiglass. I thought plexiglass would be an interesting one. People might laugh at that, but... Y'all know that somebody is making an absolute fortune in plexiglass. So let's look at Dow Chemical. Dow Chemical, oh, they produce cleaning supplies. A lot of the cleaning supplies that people are using like crazy, things with bleach in it under COVID. And they also make, I believe it's called Lucite, which is plexiglass. And they make some of the materials that make plexiglass. And you see here top investors of Dow stock. The Vanguard group once again. BlackRock is number two. 
Capital Management Research, State Street once again. And just uh, a lot of the same people, of course. We got uh, doo -doo -doo. State Farm once again, Goldman Sachs once again, Wells Fargo once again, Charles Schwab, Swiss National Bank again, J.P. Morgan Chase, Deutsche Bank, Citigroup once again. And as you know, Dow is a huge company. Even though they broke off with DuPont a few years ago, they are a gigantic company and they have a lot of investors. But if you scroll down to the bottom one more time, funds that own Dow also own Comcast, NVIDIA, Adobe, Lockheed Martin, Gilead, Netflix, Tesla, Shopify, PayPal, Charter, Broadcom. You see some of those same ones, right? So quickly, let's take a look at DuPont because they also make medical supplies. And I think they may make plexiglass as well, but I'm not 100% sure. You see, third in line in their stocks, Microsoft Corp. Fourth, Apple. Fifth, Amazon. Alphabet Inc. Facebook. Visa. Vanguard once again. Johnson & Johnson. MasterCard. J.P. Morgan Chase. United Healthcare, Bank of America. I mean, there's tons. This is a huge company as well. Lockheed Martin, Disney, NVIDIA, once again. You see PayPal. It's a lot of the same ones and a bunch of new ones as well. This one has more investors than the others that I looked at. It just goes on and on forever. But let's talk about BlackRock for a minute, okay? It says in here, Blackstone is also an investor, in the DuPont company. Well, BlackRock was a subsidiary of Blackstone at one time until just a few years ago. And I read on the Burning Platform website that the CEO of Blackstone, Stephen Swarsman, is now an economic advisor to President Trump and the chairman of Donald's Business Advisory Council, the Strategic and Policy Forum. And he is also a Skull and Bones member just like Steve Mnuchin. So you have BlackRock now working hand-in-hand -hand with the Federal Reserve and basically drafting their bailout before we even had a financial crisis. Now, to get away from BlackRock for a few minutes, I was looking at who else is invested in medical testing supplies and plexiglass. I found this article from IllinoisPolicy.com it said, the Pritzker family firm has ties to COVID-19 testing companies. The Pritzker Group, a private and venture capital firm co-founded by Governor J.B. Pritzker, is connected to at least two companies creating COVID-19 tests. Now, Governor J.B. Pritzker's private capital firm, which he co-founded with his brother Anthony in 1996, has invested in Path Group, a clinical and molecular pathology company, QHealth, a healthcare technology company, received funding from the Pritzker Group's venture capital arm. Both companies have announced the development or plans to develop tests for COVID-19. Pritzker has previously said he put his financial assets in a blind trust after he was elected to office, stepped down from his position at the family firm, and relinquished decision-making power at the Pritzker Group. Pritzker's brother Anthony is now chairman and managing partner at the firm. He says, I really have been uninvolved for three years, so if there's anything like that, I would not know about it. 
Now, I won't bore you with continuing to read that, but I'll put it in the show notes and you can check it out yourself. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. And so I looked a little bit deeper into Pritzker. And I also noticed that they own Plasco Light, one of the biggest plexiglass manufacturing companies in the United States. I was also able to find several articles about Plasco Light and how their business is absolutely booming under the COVID-19 protection measures where you see plexiglass at every restaurant and every store. We now live in a plexiglass world. I won't spend too much more time on this. I don't want to bore you guys, but I'm going to look into a couple other companies just to see, because I haven't looked yet, who is invested in them. So we look at AstraZeneca, the pharmaceutical company, who is quoted as the number two company trying to manufacture COVID-19 vaccines. We look at the number one investor, that's Wellington Management, but we look down Capital Research Management once again. We see Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, and BlackRock, of course. Some of the same ones, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, Epoch Investment Partners once again, Royal Bank of Canada, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, State Street, uh, Barclays is another one that I've seen on several of those I forgot to mention. And once again, look down at the bottom. Funds that own AstraZeneca also own Comcast, NVIDIA, Wells Fargo, Adobe, Netflix, Tesla, Shopify, PayPal, some of the same, same ones. Again, quickly, let's check out Pfizer and who owns stock in Pfizer. Of course, the Vanguard Group once again. Number two, again, BlackRock, State Street Corporation, Bank of America, State Farm, Morgan Stanley, Charles Schwab, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, Swiss National Bank once again, Royal Bank of Canada once again. A lot of these same people, okay? There's a ton. Barclays once again. And one more time. Funds that own Pfizer also own Comcast, Microsoft, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, MasterCard, Berkshire Hathaway, ExxonMobil, Home Depot, Johnson & Johnson, Intel, Verizon, Apple, Merck, Pepsi, Procter & Gamble, United Health, Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet Class A and Alphabet Class C. Those are Google companies, as you know. Now, you may be getting upset and bored with me and ready to turn it off. Please don't. I'm going to move on to something else. I'm going to go one more. I could go several more. I'm just going to go one more company that is making the COVID-19 vaccines. And that is Innovio, number one investor, Vanguard Group. Number two investor, who do you think it is, guys? It's BlackRock once again, State Street, Charles Schwab, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Swiss National Bank, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley. Obviously, there's tons more on each one of these. I just read the ones that keep coming up. Deutsche Bank once again. And one last time, look to the bottom. Funds that own Innovio Pharmaceuticals also own Comcast, NVIDIA, Adobe, Netflix, Tesla, Barclays, PayPal, Shopify, Zoom, Square. 
And I won't go any further with that, but I will put in another article that shows you the top companies who are manufacturing the vaccines. And that way, if you want to go to StockZoa or another website and check out who's invested in those, you can on your own. Now, why did I bring all this up? You say, well, any company can invest in anything, and they know, of course, that it's going to be a good investment because of COVID-19. That's true, but I just put that in there to kind of put forth an idea for you guys, and many of you probably already know this, but you can have a problem, a reaction, and a solution. So it's kind of like especially when you look at BlackRock working with the Federal Reserve. And if you don't know how the Federal Reserve works, and I think most of you do, but the Federal Reserve is actually private. It's a private set of central banks. They're only federal in that they have federal protections. And I would urge you to go back and look at Eustace Mullins' work on the Federal Reserve and also G. Edward Griffin's The Creature from Jekyll Island. But there's a lot of other good information on there. So check out how the Federal Reserve was created. It was a way to take over our money supply and start adding interest and making debt on the citizens. It was a brilliant move that happened under Wilson when all of these bazillionaires got together and decided, hey, how can we take over the money supply without letting the people know it exactly. We can make them still think that their money supply is under a federal system, yet we can control the whole thing. And they're fools, and we'll just tell them that we're doing it to help them, and they've they've got no way of knowing. So we'll just continue to do it. And they have, and they have made millions and billions of dollars And they have racked debt upon debt on future generations. And now we're, what, $27 trillion in debt right now? And even the Republicans don't care any longer about debt. They're not conservative in that way any longer. They don't even pretend to be fiscal conservatives. They don't even try to pretend to spend less or make government smaller. I mean, occasionally they might claim that, but we know from looking back through history that that is not the case, and it's certainly not the case under this administration. This is the Federal Reserve headquarters in Washington. It sits on this very impressive address right on Constitution Avenue, right across from the Lincoln Memorial. But is it federal? Is it really part of the United States government? Well, what we're about to show you is that there's nothing federal about the Federal Reserve, and there are no reserves. The name is a deception created back before the Federal Reserve Act was passed in 1913 to make Americans think that America's central bank operates in the public interest. The truth is that the Federal Reserve is a private bank owned by private stockholders and run purely for their private profit. But more directly, U.S. courts have ruled time and time again that the Fed is a private corporation. Why can't Congress do something about the Fed? Most members of Congress just don't understand the system, and the few who do are afraid to speak up. 
What one has to understand is that from the day the Constitution was adopted, right up to today, the folks who profit from privately owned central banks, as Madison called them, the money changers, have fought a running battle for control over who gets to print America's money. Why is who prints the money so important? Think of money as just another commodity. If you have a monopoly on a commodity that everyone needs, everyone wants, and nobody has enough of, there are lots of ways to make a profit and also exert tremendous political influence. That's what this battle is all about. Throughout the history of the United States, the money power has gone back and forth between Congress and some sort of privately owned central bank. The Founding Fathers knew the evils of a privately owned central bank. First of all, they had seen how the privately owned British Central Bank, the Bank of England, had run up the British national debt to such an extent that Parliament had been forced to place unfair taxes on the American colonies. In fact, as we'll see later, Ben Franklin claimed that this was the real cause of the American Revolution. Most of the Founding Fathers realized the potential dangers of banking and feared bankers' accumulation of wealth and power. Jefferson put it this way. I sincerely believe that banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. The issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs. That succinct statement of Jefferson is, in fact, the solution to all our economic problems today. It bears repeating, the issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs. James Madison, the main author of the Constitution, agreed. Interestingly, he called those behind the central bank scheme money changers. Madison strongly criticized their actions. History records that the money changers have used every form of abuse, intrigue, deceit, and violent means possible to maintain their control over governments by controlling money and its issuance. The battle over who gets to issue our money has been the pivotal issue throughout the history of the United States. Wars are fought over it, depressions are caused to acquire it, yet after World War I, this battle was rarely mentioned in newspapers or history books. Why? By World War I, the money changers, with their dominant wealth, had seized control of most of the nation's press. Throughout U.S. history, this battle over who gets the power to issue our money has raged. In fact, it's changed hands back and forth eight times since 1764, yet this fact has virtually vanished from public view for over three generations behind a smokescreen emitted by Fed cheerleaders in the media. Until we stop talking about deficits and government spending and start talking about who controls how much money we have, it's all just a big shell game, a complete and utter deception. The public never would have adopted the Federal Reserve Act as, in fact, they did. This legislation, and when Senator Aldridge first uh, released the, uh, the legislation, it was called the Aldridge Bill, and that was really bad. Uh, Warburg said, uh, uh, 
And all of a sudden he said, don't do that. He said, people know that you're, you're a Republican and that you're, you're rich and that you're connected with all of the you know, investment houses. Don't call it the Aldridge Bill. And Aldridge apparently had a great deal of ego, and he probably said, well, after all, I'm well-respected and so forth. So he did call it the Aldridge Bill. Well, then that's when the controversy started. People said, well, exactly what Warburg said they were going to say. So that's when they pulled the bill back because it had a lot of uh, bad uh, negativity about it. And then they reissued it, almost the same bill, but they got some Democrats, uh, Carter Glass. Uh, it was called the Glass Bill. And but he was a Democrat, so that was okay, you see. People still, even in those days, had the idea that somehow Democrats were, were hardworking people, you know, blue collar and dirt under their fingernails, you know, like Ted Kennedy. <laughs> but so it worked. The point is the ploy worked. And okay, now it was it was a bill being sponsored by the common man, and that's how they basically. So, in sold. your view, the uh, the bill, the Federal Reserve, from the beginning was a ploy. Oh, absolutely, it was a ploy. It was a, a brilliant piece of strategy. These people were not stupid. They're great uh, psychopoliticians, they're great strategists. And in fact, while the bill was being debated in Congress, some of these people went uh, uh, before the public. They gave speeches knowing it would be reported in the press, and they were interviewed by journalists, and they said, oh, this bill that they had written on the side, nobody knew of it, they said, ah, this bill is, is not gonna be good for business, it's bad for America. And they actually did that ploy. And knowing full well that the average guy would read that in the newspaper and say, hmm, these big bankers don't like the bill, must be pretty good, you know? These fellows were brilliant, and that's how they sold it. So, beyond all that, I wanted to talk about this because you see that a lot of these same groups, they own the medical testing supplies, they make the plexiglass, and they're invested in the cure or the supposed cure in the vaccines. And if that doesn't make you a little bit nervous and a little bit skeptical, then there's no help for you. So I just wanted to put that out there and get you to looking into it yourselves. You guys are smart and I'm sure that you'll find more information and you may have more time to find information than I do right now. So feel free to share it, share it with the public. Uh, I, I looked, as I was looking into this, I saw that the last American Vagabond website has done a bunch of work on BlackRock. Haven't got to read any of it yet, but they do some really good investigative journalism. So I'm going to check into them and maybe you can listen to this. Then I'm sure they've done a much more efficient job of investigating it and it's probably much more detailed and I look forward to looking into that myself so check that out and we'll move on to something else you know we're in this age where everything is insane it's it's this time and it's always like this before the elections but of course this one is ramped up tenfold and as I've been saying people are getting crazier and crazier I expect not to have any friends by the time this election comes around if it does come around any personal friends besides the boiler room crew and those guys and a handful of my old friends I've been friends with for 20 30 years because people cannot take any criticism of their politicians and the closer it gets to election time the more fundamentalist of course they get you're seeing that right are you guys seeing that um, I mean it's just they can't even take a little bit of criticism so you, that's one of the problems with 
And it's one of the really, it's one of the brilliant things about having the two party system, the way you can pit people against each other and have them ignore any and all uh, corruption in their own party, any and all bad policies, any and all shortcomings. And so that's what we're seeing now. And it's, it's, it's sort of entertaining to watch in a way, but it's very sad because, as you guys know, this is pretty serious business. You know, they say every election is the most important election. To me, this election doesn't mean that much because I see that people haven't kept to their conservative principles. The libertarians have no shot at really making a difference on the national level because they're prevented from even taking uh, participation in the debates. So you have the two parties that are one party, basically, with a few different, you know, a few different stances. But it always ends the same with more debt, less freedom. And so at this point, there's not a whole lot of freedom left to lose. And if we don't turn it back or try to at least turn it back, then it's only going to get worse. And I think that it's inevitable now. I hate to, you know, be so negative, but it feels like it's almost inevitable that it's going to get worse and we're just going to move more towards an authoritarian type of socialist society. Socialist in that we'll have some type of UBI or something like that. But of course, at the top, it'll still be this protectionist racket. But if they can just print money out of thin air, then why not just give it to the people? So they're going to be giving it to, you know, the military industrial complex and all types of corporations, multinational corporations and whatnot. And so, I don't know, it's almost like a lose-lose situation, but I won't completely give up hope if you don't. And I was looking into all this stuff and I was just kind of thinking about all these companies and who they invest in. And I've just started to look into that, you know, follow the money trail and you can find out so much about politics. And I imagine if we did follow the money trails more often, it would lead to places we would not like, we would not be comfortable with because many of our politicians and possibly the companies that we like to do business with have ties to other companies or politicians or institutions that we do not like. And so that's probably another reason why people are lazy and won't do their own research. That, and, you know, they're too busy looking at cat and dog memes and uh, watching Pornhub and watching sports online. Sports played by guys who probably hate most of us, but, you know, that's beside the point. If you enjoy it, watch it. I have no desire to, and I didn't before this whole COVID thing, but, you know, trying to put these social issues in every aspect of our lives and entertainment, it just makes me not want to take part in any of it. I don't care. You know, if more people stood up to these companies and said, I don't want to have anything to do with your company anymore, I won't watch your shows, your sports, I won't spend any money towards it anymore, people would start being a little bit more respectful. Vote with your dollars. Vote with your wallet. That's one of the best things that you can do. It's one of the only powers that you can do. But I don't think that many people even do that. I don't think they have a backbone or principles where they will actually stand up and do that. They like to complain, but they won't put their money where their mouths are, so to speak. And so don't expect for this to get any better. 
You know, they demean masculinity. They demean the family. It's just again and again, they demean everything that we hold dear. And they don't, you know, now we're not even allowed to speak about what we like, what we love, what we care about without being shamed. They've freedom shamed us and have got other people convinced that we're the ones that hate freedom. You know, be tolerant, guys. Yes, be tolerant, but don't take any shit. You don't have to be walked on. We shouldn't accept letting our representatives walk on us, letting people from entertainment and sports and all other types of media walk on us. We should not partake in their platforms and we should not have anything to do with them. But first, before we stop, we should shoot them an email, let them know, maybe even write an old fashioned letter and let them know why we're disgusted in a polite way, in an intelligent way, and why we won't be using their platforms or watching any of their stuff, listening to any of their stuff any longer. If you don't stand up, it's just going to get worse and worse. And I don't see people standing up in any significant way because we have Netflix and chill and, you know, we're busy. We've got other things to do. Yet a lot of these things are happening right now are more important than most of the other things we could do. And if we don't do them now, we probably won't have a voice whatsoever. You know, Facebook's changing the terms of service once again, and I'm getting an update or a reminder of that every day. They wouldn't be doing that if it's not going to be a huge deal. And I imagine, like YouTube, Facebook is getting ready to make major censorship, major deletions. They already are starting to censor people right and left. And if you don't toe the line with the status quo and the corporate media who are owned by the multinational corporations, then you will not be allowed to be on those platforms. So I say... Find another platform, whether it's Parler or, or Gab or MeWe or Discord. Go ahead and make yourself a profile or a couple of profiles on those different sites and get ready. You know, you won't have all the people on there that you do now, but you can have a smaller community where you don't have to be subjected to all the BS and the censorship all the time. Is it really worth it to have you know, 750, 1,000 friends on Facebook that you don't even know and will never see most of them ever, you know, talk to the close ones, maybe get their emails, their phone numbers to stay in touch with them. But I think it's time to get off these platforms before they kick us off or at least be prepared to do something else. So back up your Facebook account, your pictures and your information on there and you know, I'm seriously thinking about just giving mine up and just going to Parlor or Gab, which I have accounts on there. They're not great, but none of these other outlets, these other uh, platforms are going to be good unless people start to really, really use them. And that's what it's all about. And people don't like changing things. They don't like trying new stuff. They want the most easily accessible apps and sites. And I understand that, but times are a changing and you'll never beat the technocrats they have built these platforms like facebook and twitter 
against you. You will not beat them. They can take you off at any time. They don't even have to explain exactly what you did. They just have it in these broad, this broad spectrum of you violated the terms of service or community standards. And we don't really even know what all those entail. And they're really just a tracking system. They're a way to market, learn how to market exactly to you and also to learn how to control you and people like you by the way you react to certain things. I've talked about this a lot, right? Social conditioning. The social psychologists have been watching our every moves and watching how we react and they know how we're going to react before we react. So they know more about us than they know about ourselves and you guys understand that. It's been coming Brzezinski talked about it. I know it's a real drag to face the music, but it's really when you get down to the bottom of politics, money really is the key that drives things. And when you follow that rabbit trail of money, you find out that so many companies and so many institutions are all in bed together, they're either invested in one another's companies or they're linked in other ways. And so I would just urge people to go back and look at the bankers and how many bankers there have been in each presidential administration in the modern era. And I'll, I'll leave a couple of good links to look into that. I know there's one site, if it's still up, that I used to refer to a lot, which Facebook banned early on several years ago. It was called whiteoutpress.com, I believe. And they had a very long list of bankers in the presidential administration since, I believe, Clinton, if I'm not mistaken. And remember, guys, remember that the WikiLeaks email dump that came out right after Obama was president, told that Citibank virtually picked President Obama's administration. It had the emails from the head of Citibank directing exactly who to pick, and Obama ended up picking every single one of those. It doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican. And you can kind of take this back to the Council on Foreign Relations and that whole cadre of elite financiers and the Anglo-American establishment that quickly talked about. Take it all the way back to the roundtable groups and the All Souls groups from Oxford. Right back to the good old days when all this started. These elite cabals, these elite groups, these elite men, they stay close together. So while they keep us fighting with one another, especially right now, right before the big election, like anything is going to change. I mean, hardly anything changes, but people don't even realize that because they keep us all tore up, as we say here in the South, keep us all tore up on uh, the different issues. But they're just a handful of issues that are usually social issues that they keep us fighting over. And meanwhile, really at the top, the two parties begin to look more and more alike. That is a hard pill to swallow. Very hard pill to swallow. That's beyond black pill for most people. They cannot take that because 
we have this natural tribalistic nature and we really enjoy the sport of political fighting, the blood sport as I call it, of political fighting. So when I was looking into the information on BlackRock, I ran into these videos by these guys. It's called Fash the Nation, or at least I believe that's the name of their show. It's from therightstuff.biz, but also see that they're affiliated with the SGT report. And these guys are very funny. They got comedy chops, and they're very, very smart when it comes to finances and money lenders, and they have a really good sense of humor kind of poking fun at the Jewish side of money lending and in big business, which, you know, it just kind of goes hand in hand. They're really good, shrewd businessmen, many of them, not everyone. But anyway, they had some really good information, and I don't want to rip them off. I kind of feel like I'm doing that, but I'm going to add some of their audio clips. I'm going to condense them down and I'm going to leave you links to their shows. And I invite you to check them out and tell them the odd man said hello and really appreciates what they're doing. And by the way, let's not forget that Larry Fink is also a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and BlackRock sits on their board, their corporate membership board. But that's no surprise. There's a good chance you've never heard of BlackRock. Founded in only 1988, in less than 30 years, this American financial firm would grow to become the company that owns the world, managing assets worth $6.3 trillion. These are assets that belong to their clients, mainly the pension funds of ordinary people, teachers, police officers, nurses, and many more. And that's just the beginning. BlackRock has also developed a software platform called Aladdin to perform risk analysis for its clients. It receives sensitive data from banks, insurance companies, and other important institutions. Through Aladdin, BlackRock has insights about the management of financial assets worth another $20 trillion. BlackRock also has shares and voting rights in many of the biggest European companies, in sectors such as energy, oil and gas, transportation, food, and of course, finance. The company holds public debt in the form of bonds and has real estate interests. And still, there's more. Our rock, you see, wears many hats. Aside from being an investor, it is also an auditor and an advisor. Governments and central banks invite a BlackRock subsidiary called BlackRock Solutions to audit them and to provide advice about the management and rescue of banks. Yet at the same time, BlackRock is often a major shareholder in these same banks. In other words, the company often sits on both sides of the table. BlackRock Solutions gets privileged access to highly sensitive information, information that could be valuable to BlackRock itself. Does this constitute a conflict of interest? No, says BlackRock, which claims that the company has established Chinese walls between its different subsidiaries. In January 2018, BlackRock's founder and chairman, Larry Fink, sent a letter to all of the CEOs of the companies BlackRock has invested in, asking them to do more than deliver financial performance and make a positive contribution to society. So BlackRock not only owns the world, it also wants to save it? This nationalizing a large swath of the financial markets. Now, we've talked about the financialization of the country that started uh, really in the 1970s um, with things occurring before the 1970s, but the actual financialization of the economy. They have used these various uh, recessions 
Last one was the 2008 financial crisis. This is the latest one. Actually, they had the longest run, longest bull market run in a long time. And it was only a matter of time. The economy had to be reset. And that's what they're doing with this right now. We've talked a lot about this being a restructuring. But this is formalizing this in a way that has never been done before. Now, the the big headline that people are getting hung, hung, hung up on is the merger of the Federal Reserve and the Treasury into one organization, implying that they were separate, independent <laughs> organizations at any point ever. That's not actually the real story. We'll talk about what they're actually doing, because what they are doing is they're sort of just admitting that it's not that anymore like before they would at least put up the pretense that they are separate organizations and they're independent and yada 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 now nah, they're, they're sort of dispensing with all of that but the bigger news is that blackrock's involvement so let me walk through this here this this fits in with our narrative lots of confirmation bias in the past few weeks you've seen the federal reserve cutting rates by 150 basis points to near zero and they have run through virtually the entire handbook for the 2008 crisis. They've done one rate cut after another, followed by an emergency rate cut, trillion dollars a day in repo injections. They used emergency powers to create this commercial paper facility uh, for <laughs> pumping overnight liquidity into the market. They, Literally making the money printer go burr. Yeah, oh, it is. That's exactly what it is. It's literally a facility for burr. Um, restart quantitative easing. Then they changed it to unlimited quantitative easing, which is just fancy speak for Burr, uh, agreed to purchase unlimited bonds for the first time ever, agreed to loan directly to corporations, which is something they've never done before. Then the, originally the stimulus was supposed to be a trillion, then it became two trillion, then it became six trillion. And so they've also added $625 billion worth of bond buying a week going forward. So if this continues, implying that the Fed and the Treasury are two separate entities, the Fed is going to own two-thirds of all of the T-bills the in the market in less than a year. So it's – I mean this merger of the two is, is becoming formalized. Uh, they've brought back a lot of these acronyms uh, that they had in the 2008 crisis, which were on a much smaller scale. And uh, at that time, you had uh, – Bush 43 and Obama had handed over a lot of the control of these programs uh, to Ben Bernanke. But uh, this is all being run by Steve Mnuchin now, um, who is the Treasury Secretary. And so you have the Commercial Paper Funding Facility, uh, CPFF, which is going to be buying commercial paper from the issuer. You have the PMCCF, which is the Primary Market Corporate Credit Facility, which is buying corporate bonds from the issuer. You have mm. TALF. They're all over the world. So yeah, Larry Fink is in the mix on this. You got Bloomberg in there. You got John Corzine. You got all these these people. And the, the only reason I mention um, Kappa Beta Phi is because of uh, Larry Fink and a lot of these these people that are all intermingled in so many ways. Um, sure. But Fink. I is, wonder how many of those people uh, show up showed up in Jeffrey Epstein's black book. Yeah, that'd be an interesting research project. It's a good question. Uh, Fink is probably the most powerful man in the world. Uh, his company actually has $6.5 trillion in assets. Um, they are the single largest share, shareholder in virtually any major corporation that you can think of. Uh, we'll go through the list here in a second. And it controls the d nine DAX companies in Germany as well. So it's not just the United States, very deeply rooted in Germany and Austria um, they're all over the world. Uh, it's they can influence the fate of entire cities and countries 
BlackRock um, is uh, they have 70 offices in 30 countries, clients in over 100 uh, countries around the world. Um, they are essentially the world's largest shadow bank um, due to its size and scope. I mean, just the, the just to put this into perspective so people understand, BlackRock is larger than Deutsche Bank, Goldman Sachs, and J.P. Morgan combined. And, wow. they, and they own those companies, too. Like, they own large controlling, not quite well, not controlling in the sense that you would think, not 51%, but large enough where they can make things happen if they need to. They are the largest single shareholder also of BASF, Daimler, Lufthansa, Deutsche Bank, and Allianz, and that's just in Germany. They, uh, they also have this massive data center in Washington State, uh, there's a cluster of 6,000 computers there that monitor the assets of over 170 pension funds, banks, foundations, insurance companies, and others. These computers watch interest rate changes, bank failures, look at natural disasters, uh, and you know look at every change in consequences, positive or negative. And of course, this system is called Aladdin. And there are 17,000 traders around the world that decide when to buy or sell assets based on what this data center spits out. It's the heart of BlackRock. Um, and they single-handedly manage most of the money that is in private equity and hedge funds combined worldwide. The only other big company out there that owns just almost as much as them, they're dwarfed by half, but $3 trillion is uh, is Vanguard. And so... Although almost all of their holdings are stocks, they are the largest shareholder in 50% of the world's 30 largest corporations. Look, here is one of the biggest companies in the world that controls $7.4 trillion uh, worth of American companies. They're the number one, two, or three shareholder in most American companies. And the guy at the very top of that thing, yeah, he's his name's Larry Fink. They had a significant role to play. In the 2008 crisis, they were tasked by the Federal Reserve to dispose of toxic mortgage securities. Where'd they go? Just flushing down the toilet, I guess, James. Uh, this time, it will help the Fed prop up the entire corporate bond market by purchasing, on the central bank's behalf, what could become a $750 billion portfolio of debt. And they're going to make tons and tons and tons of money off this. And we talked about this the moment that it happened. And it it became became very big news. And uh, this Larry Fink guy, uh, he's become one of the industry's most important government whisperers. In contrast to other influential financiers who have built ties to Donald Trump, Fink possesses a power that's more technocratic. BlackRock, which is the world's largest money manager, one part of the Fed's plan is to buy bond exchange traded funds. BlackRock itself runs on ETFs and could end up buying funds that it manages. This is one aspect of the moral hazard. So the arrangement is bringing new attention to this company's scale and ubiquity. Quote, it is impossible to think that BlackRock, think of BlackRock without thinking of them as a fourth branch of government, says William Byrd Thistle, a professor at the Chicago Kent College of Law, which studies the fund industry. Fink was on the short list in 2012 to replacing Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner. Now he's widely believed to be a contender for that post in the Joe Biden administration. You're going to see Larry Fink in some major government role at some point. Sure. Whether it's Treasury Secretary or Fed Chairman, he's going to be there. 
Oh, you mean like uh, it, you mean like right now, <laughs> like he is already? <laughs> basically, yeah. And even Jerome Powell says that BlackRock was hired for its expertise, and it was done very quickly due to the urgency. What does that mean? Done very quickly due to the urgency. Well, it was a no bid contract, James. Mm. It was basically like you're the guy, and we want you to be the guy because you have this cool data center that has this software platform called Aladdin that we talked about which is more of this electronic trading. And basically they want to run all that through Aladdin. These are Jewish algorithms in a genie bottle called Aladdin in a data center somewhere out in Utah. And, you know, it's the same data center where the other $20 trillion in assets are managed um, and run through and decisions are made. And it's, it's all the computer doing the work, Goy. Nothing to worry about, nothing to be concerned about. You know, your, your accounts could go to zero momentarily, but that's just a... That's just a bug in the system. We're working it out. <laughs> That's just the freedom of the market. You know, yeah. you, you don't know you don't know what's causing the stonk line to go up or down, uh, but we do, and trust us to manage your account for you, and we'll do the best we can. Oh yeah. So here's where the the confirmation bias comes in, because none of that is really new information. BlackRock is built on a powerful advocacy arm. Its sphere of influence reaches beyond the central bank of lawmakers, presidents, and government agency heads from both political parties, of course. Through its hiring leans Democratic, Bloomberg found only a handful of current BlackRock executives who came from the George W. Bush administration, but more than a dozen from Barack Obama's alumnus. Those include Obama's national security advisor, senior advisor for climate policy, the former Federal Reserve vice chairman he appointed, and numerous White House Treasury and Fed economists. It's like, it's amazing. That was like, they just went right to BlackRock, right? Trump administration just goes straight to BlackRock. Very, very conservative. I mean, they oh, don't yeah. even put this up for a vote. It's like, yeah, it's like, but that's the point. These parties are just, it's just window dressing. They don't matter. Right. Yeah, and I, I wonder what this is going to look like in, in four or eight years when you look at the hiring practices of BlackRock then to see how many Trump administration alumni find their way into BlackRock. And uh, well, I guarantee you, you're going to find quite a few. Well, it's not just the United States either. The Bank of Canada tapped BlackRock in March as an advisor for its purchases of commercial paper. So you have BlackRock in charge of commercial paper in Canada, in charge of bonds and ETFs in America. I mean, it is, it is, I mean, this is beyond, like the government has just become archaic and, and almost meaningless. It is the financial system that Hamilton built and founded uh, has grown into this Leviathan. This yeah. is what this was. Yeah, the it, European it, Union hired BlackRock to advise them and dictate how to incorporate environmental, social, and governance practices into the way EU banks manage risk. So you hear people talk about, about climate policy and, and these massive reforms being uh, effectively a wealth transfer. Well, here you go. BlackRock is being made, in the EU at least, being put in charge of integrating that into EU policy. Yeah, and then you have the no-bid contract. They in, in 2008, they tapped Pacific Investment Management Company to buy commercial paper. And then after evaluating responses to requests for proposals, they chose State Street, which I think is like the number three um, asset firm after BlackRock and Vanguard, to act as the administrator and keeper of securities for some of the emergency programs in 2008. BlackRock, however, was handed three Fed assignments without any competitive process. Like in 2008, they at least had to have the appearance of there being a bidding process and RFPs and everything else. But no, 2020, just like you're the guy, Larry. Come <laughs> on down, Larry. You're the winner. 
the Fed plan. Oh, of course, the Fed plans to rebid the contracts, though, once the programs are in full swing. Well, when you're the biggest asset manager in the fucking world, who's your competitor? How can you rebid this to some? It's like anybody that you stack up against BlackRock. It's a stacked deck. It's like, oh, can you do what we do? Okay, you can't. All right, then we win. We win the contract again. Yeah. And it's just going to be this way forever. And it's permanent. This isn't temporary. This is permanent. BlackRock now runs the Fed. That's what this is. And it's going to be rebid. And they're admitting that it's going to be rebid because they say it's going to be rebid. It's not like this has a sunset. It's not going to be over. It never ends. Why would it end? Well, yeah. And, and that rebidding process is going to look like uh, you going to say, okay, on the one hand, I can I can buy from Amazon. I can I can make Amazon my full service uh, product delivery company, or I can go to, I don't know, Radio Shack. Oh, well, Amazon <laughs> is this global monopoly already. All right. Looks like that was an easy bidding process. Consider it done. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's how it'll go. So the big three are BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. And they control 80% of all indexed money. 80% of all indexed money. So here are some more potential conflicts that these guys have. So you have one arm of BlackRock knowing what the Fed is going to be buying, while the other parts of the business are participating in credit markets could benefit from that knowledge. But don't worry, James. To avoid conflicts, quote, there are stringent information barriers in place, oh, good. said the BlackRock spokesman. BlackRock employees working on the Fed programs must segregate their operations from all of the units including trading, brokerage, and sales. The fee waiver on ETFs helps avoid the appearance of self-dealing, right? This is what we were told. Oh, we're not going to take any fees on all of this. It's a, that's not what the point is. It's not about making the fees at this point. May have been at one point, not anymore. It's about controlling the system. But BlackRock's contract with the Fed also acknowledges that senior executives, quote, may sit atop this information barrier and, quote, have access to confidential information on one side of the wall while carrying out duties on the other side. So we'll just have to trust Larry Fink to play play by the rules, right, James? They're oh, just yeah. going to sit on top of this information barrier and hear things in both ears and totally make sound decisions that are in no way a conflict of interest. No way. It's, it's ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that we have our – uh, our Federal Reserve being run and the buying and selling of these bonds being managed uh, by people who stand to profit from it on an honor system, it's ridiculous. And there's no way this should, ever, should have ever been allowed. And if no. this had been put through a, a real and rigorous bidding process, it wouldn't have been because this is a, a glaring conflict of interest. But, uh, I mean, this is why they had to ram this through as part of this coronavirus relief, right? Because if you if we waited, people would have suffered. So people actually would have suffered more. But uh, but so they had to had to do this under the cover of darkness. Just imagine the cost, the price on having this information, right? Being able to control the entire apparatus. They're like, yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll give you the fees for free, Goy. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, but even if they get caught, even if they get caught red-handed doing something nefarious, you're going to be accused of being anti-Semite. Nobody's going to prosecute these guys. It had to be done. It was necessary to keep everything going. If it weren't for BlackRock, if it weren't for Larry Fink, the United States would have fallen to tatters. Sure. Now, understand a lot of people, this may not mean anything to them. They won't take the time to think about this or look into it. But I, I suggest that you do because 
the people who rule us, the people who make the money, who issue the money, obviously are the rulers, are the real rulers. And BlackRock is the main one as of right now. And people will just say, well, you hate Trump. And so you're against Trump. And, you know, because, look, I found several articles. You could probably find dozens that say Trump is the new head of the Federal Reserve or Trump is dissolving the Federal Reserve. But it's just not happening. In fact, it's getting more powerful. They have more power than ever. So I think it's very important to kind of put your feelings aside and realize that no matter who's president, these type of companies, these type of investment firms rule. And so I found this article by conservativehq.com. These guys are tea partiers, and they seem to be pretty down the line as far as they want small government, small regulations lower debt, that type of thing. And the name of the article is Meet Your New Master, BlackRock's Larry Fink. Now, this was from back in April the 2nd, 2020. Our friend Frank Gaffney at the Center for Security Policies Committee for Present Danger, China, connected some truly frightening dots for us in his recent article, Year of the Rat Fink, Investment Firms Selling Out America. Exposing BlackRock Inc. Chairman and CEO Larry Fink. Larry was not exactly a household name until President Trump singled him out in a White House press briefing on March 28th as one of the smartest people in the world who is helping figure out how America's airlines and other big U.S. companies can weather the economic pandemic unleashed by the Chinese virus. While Trump asserted that Fink loves this country, one thing is certain, explained Mr. Gaffney. He loves money and has made immense amounts of it doing things that are, in a word, troubling. As our friend Frank Gaffney explained, BlackRock Inc., with its estimated $7 trillion under management, has repeatedly placed the interests of America, and for that matter, those of his clients, second to his own agendas and interests. The most worrying of the latter are his sustained, concerted, and personal lucrative efforts to promote investments in the PRC. They have, over time, had the effect of enriching and enabling the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, its corporate fronts, and the malevolent activities in which they have long engaged to the grave detriment of this country, its security and values. And Larry Fink is certainly no cultural or economic conservative or economic nationalist like Donald Trump. Fink is on the board of trustees of the World Economic Forum. Ooh, World Economic Forum. Are you talking about the guys who came up with the Great Reset? The World Economic Forum who sponsored or co-sponsored Event 201? Okay, that World Economic Forum. Fink is on the board of trustees of the World Economic Forum and features prominently in its programs. Indeed, this year, he used his remarks at the Forum's conclave in Davos to promote the priority his firm would be giving to environmental, social, and governance ESG principles over return on investments. And in his annual letter to the global CEOs released last January, Fink actually threatened those who disagreed with that priority. We will be increasingly disposed to vote against management and board directors when companies are not making sufficient progress on sustainability, Sustainable Development Agenda 21-2030.
<laughs> sustainability-related disclosures and the business practices and plans underlying them. Fink's strong-arm tactics to impose his globalist climate change agenda are, of course, rooted in a bid to destroy fossil fuel industries, and as such, are fundamentally at odds with President Trump's policies, which is now imminent, is allowed to proceed. Fink will have put President Trump in the unenviable and untenable position of compelling U.S. military personnel and their civilian counterparts to invest in Chinese Communist Party weapons manufacturers and the party's other odious companies. For nearly a year, the Committee on the Present Danger, China, has been warning about the CCP's penetration of our capital markets and urging the countermanding of that decision, which the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board, or the FRTIB, initially took in 2017, with implementation to occur this year. Unfortunately, the FRTIB reaffirmed it late last year, despite the strenuous bipartisan objections on Capitol Hill and from influential veterans. Unless President Trump intervenes, it will all go into effect in the near future. To his credit, Mr. Gaffney notes, President Trump understood the necessity of decoupling from communist China long before he confronted its COVID-19 virus. The pandemic, however, has made such Disengagement not just vital, it is now absolutely imperative. In conclusion, said Gaffney, if we seek to be truly an independent nation, however, we must address the ultimate bilateral supply chain with China, the seemingly limitless supply of U.S. hard currency being supplied by the likes of Larry Fink to an adversary that makes no secret of its intent to defeat the U.S., and that is using such financing to enable the realization of such an ominous goal. We urge every CHQ reader and friend to review Mr. Gaffney's article, Year of the Rat Fink, Investment Firms Selling Out America, and they call your representatives and senators, the toll-free capital switchboard, one 220 Make that call to demand that Congress prohibit U.S. military and U.S. government civilian retirement funds from being invested in communist China by BlackRock's Larry Fink. So I, I suggest you check out that article. I'll put that in my notes as well. That's why I'm going to leave it here today because there's all kinds of things going on and with the election and all the rivalry and the constant hardcore sensationalist propaganda being thrown at each other or at everyone. We're all at each other's throats as they want us to be, of course. So we won't see things like this happening behind the scenes. No matter who gets elected, the Black Rocks, the Citibanks, and those types will be the shadow government. And they're selling us out like they've been selling us out for over a 100 years. It's no different than in the heyday of Rockefeller, Ford, Carnegie, Warburg, and the like. And even those guys are still very powerful and influential, but there's a lot more very wealthy, very powerful moneyed interests that are in charge nowadays. And we just don't even pay attention to that. We're our, Because, look, as I've said on here many times, I listen to talk radio, conservative talk radio, for decades, a couple decades anyway, I never heard anything about the Federal Reserve or how it was made or how it controls us and how it's not even federal. 
I never heard anything about the Council on Foreign Relations and these secretive groups that actually have a lot of sway, a lot of sway over our country, over our policies. I'll remind you that BlackRock and Bank of America and Citibank and all these different entities are on the membership board, the corporate membership board of the Council on Foreign Relations. And so they belong to the same clubs, the same groups, the same powerful institutions like the Brookings Institute, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, Bilderberg, the Atlantic Council, and so many more. And that's how they rule. That's how they rule us. And we're going to be ruled by them no matter what. And they're selling us out to communist China. And I would say go back and look at or listen to my episode called Bankers Love Communism to see how that alliance of monopolists and protectionists has long been aligned with communism and socialism and funded it. And even our tax dollars have funded it. And that's where we're at. It's not a pleasant thought. It's not pleasant to look into these things. It's not comforting to be honest and, you know, look yourself in the eye and say, look, this is the true, this is what's really going on in our country. This is how the system really works. You know, it's much easier just to pick one of the sides and say, oh, this one's all good and this one's all bad. Or, well, you know, mine's not that great, but look at the other side. Well, things have gone on so long that we're being sold out, we're being screwed over by both sides, and there's hardly any accountability because they know that they can trust on trust in us to continue to support them because they, you know, get into our minds that the enemy is so bad, and really both sides are pretty awful. We just don't know about a lot of the bad things, the bad policies and the corruption that our sides engaged in because we listen to or watch the type of news or talk radio that don't let us know about those things. Just like people on the left, you know, they listen to Rachel Maddow or watch Rachel Maddow and all these different, uh, you know, Bill Maher and John Oliver and all these different people. And they don't even know of the corruption inside their own parties. So they would never fight it. Even if they did, and even if we did, we probably wouldn't do much about it because we cannot let the other side get one over on us. And you guys know how I feel about that. If you have corruption inside your own party, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And so the lesser of two evils has gotten us where we are here today. And one more thing, I just want to give another shout out to Fast the Nation and their show, which I did clips from, those last clips were from their show. I don't know much about them, but as I said, I put their links in the show notes and they provided some great information. I hated to, I felt really weird clipping the, such a long set of clips from another show, but I could not find all that pertinent information in one chunk And they did it so well. They'd explained things so well that there's no other way I could find that. And so I hope that won't be a problem. Go check out their shows. Support them too. And uh, I just, I think it's awesome that they would put that out there because a lot of people aren't talking about BlackRock and this whole Federal Reserve thing. And anyway, on that note, 
I am out of here. This has been a long one. I appreciate you listening as always, and I hope you have a great week. Cheers and blessings to you.